Well, hello, teachers, and welcome back to another episode of the Teaching Middle School ELA podcast. Caitlin here with you guys. Along with Jessica. Hey, everybody. We are going to be talking about how empowered educators find solutions instead of setbacks. And I think that this is just such a great topic for finding solutions to problems that we face in our classroom. Totally. And when I actually saw that we were talking about this today, Caitlin, I thought of something that just recently happened to me. I think you'll find it's funny. But the other day I was trying to deposit a check and I was using my phone and it was one of those, like my password wasn't working, like all these things were going wrong and I was getting so frustrated. And Daryl, my husband was like, why don't you just walk to the ATM? And I was like, oh my goodness. Like it was such an obvious solution. (laughs) And it was like way past me because I was so frustrated, right? And I think that happens as teachers all the time. Like sometimes we get so stuck in our way of doing things and we're frustrated and things aren't going well. And the solution is sometimes so obvious. So I'm excited to share some of the things we're talking about today. Okay. And that's a great story because you guys don't know this about Jessica, but Jessica really struggles with our passwords for all of our different platforms that we use to run EV academics. So frustrated. You know, so I love that that was the issue you ran into. I'm sorry. Totally. And of course, Daryl's just like, I don't know why you have trouble with this. Like no one else has issues with mobile deposits. I'm like, I don't know. It must be Chase. It's not me. I say the same exact, you say the same exact thing to me and I say the same exact thing to you. Oh my gosh. And it's always user error. No offense to you. Yes, it's very true. But the point is the solution was obvious. I closed down, the check got deposited. (laughs) All as well. That's a great story. I absolutely love it. And so we want to talk about, you know, some of the common struggles that we see with our, our ELA teachers, our EV teachers in our programs who talk to us all the time. And, and even just those of you on, on Instagram who've been messaging us in our direct messages and just some of the simple solutions that we have that we've utilized in our own classrooms for some of those struggles that I know, we know a lot of you are facing. Um, and we really want to help you transition from that overwhelmed teacher, frustrated, like, oh my gosh, I can't even see a simple solution in front of me, teacher, to, okay, I've got this, I am empowered. And that's what we've been talking a lot about on the podcast is this concept of the empowered educator. Right. And what does that look like, right? Because when you've got solutions to your problems, you can focus then on the fun parts of teaching. You can be planned ahead. You can be organized. You can be enjoying those lessons you're creating, not just wallowing in the grading and all the like the other heavy stuff of teaching. So we're going to share some of these pain points that we hear from our teachers and hopefully give you some actionable strategies you can do to make a change this year. Perfect. Get started. Yep. Let's get started. So the first pain point and problem that, you know, a lot of our teachers run into are setbacks that we see often, um, is this whole concept of like frantically planning the night before. Right. And I remember being that teacher in those first few first few years of teaching before someone actually taught me how to batch lesson plan. And we actually came up with our philosophy on batch lesson planning, our strategy. Um, and it's stressful to no end, like staying up until 1030 and thinking, how am I going to even remember what I'm supposed to be teaching tomorrow? It is the worst feeling. In the it whole really world. is. Yeah. And then you add on to that, like, am I going to get observed with this lesson? Like, am I giving oh, it all? stuff. You know, like it's just so overwhelming. So like Caitlin said, we are firm believers in batch planning. That is our solution. And if you, if that sounds new to you, or if you haven't heard us talk about it before, please check out episodes 62 and 63 of the podcast. We really go in deep all about batch planning. 
something else that you can do too. So listen to those. Like, and if you haven't adopted this philosophy, it's going to change your life. We need you to buy in. Like everything changes the moment you start batch lesson planning. So we'll preach on that forever and ever. Mm -hmm. But then the second thing that we want to talk about, another solution for this, this, this pain point, this frantic planning is that even if you don't feel like you can totally plan out a lesson from start to finish over a long period of time, let's say we're talking about a unit or a novel or something like that, you can still take out a calendar and kind of map out where you're going to spiral in content that you know you're going to be teaching. So for example, let's talk about narrative writing, right? Mm -hmm. We believe that narrative writing should be taught at the beginning of the year. And if you haven't had a chance to teach narrative writing at the beginning of the year, you might be teaching it, you know, when you go back in January, but regardless, wherever it is that you've taught it, you want to be teaching it again, right? Reteaching that concept. So, so you're not frantically planning. You can just take some of those concepts that you've already taught within that specific writing style, like let's say leads or endings that you taught at the beginning of the year with narratives. And you can bring that back into your curriculum in January, in February. Maybe you do a small mini lesson on leads for narrative writing. You've spiraled it in. You've already taught it. And you don't have to be frantically planning the night before because you know exactly how to teach that concept. And students are just simply practicing it again. Exactly. And it's so nice to then look at your plan book and see something in there for a few weeks from now. And you're just like, okay, I know what my plan is. I know what I'm doing. I know what materials I need to gather. And I think if you can do that for narrative writing, start thinking of other writing types you can do it with as well, or other units that you can spiral back into your curriculum. Yeah. And it's just key, the batch planning and spiraling curriculum, because it takes so much stress off of your shoulders and your energy just gets to be put elsewhere into your family, into your friends, into your kids. It's just a different life that you get to live as a result. For sure. And you just enjoy teaching more. I mean, that's a huge win. Huge, huge win. And then you don't get burnt out after five years and want to quit. Right. You know, no, yeah, we do desperately. All right. Another pain point we often hear teachers talking about is that, especially when they're grading, right? (laughs) They look at their students writing and they're like, oh my gosh, we spent weeks on this and it's not good, right? You're just like going an essay after essay and you're like, when will I get to one that's like strong and that uses all the strategies that I've been teaching them? So basically it's student writing is weak. What can you do about it? So tough love. We say this with all the love in the world. (laughs) If this is happening, we want you to take a step back and think about, look at what you taught, how you taught it. And are you actually teaching the skills that you want to see students implementing in their writing? So all too often, I don't know about you, Jessica, but I hear teachers saying, well, I taught writing. I taught writing. I gave them a prompt and they spent 30 minutes writing in class. That is not the same thing as explicitly teaching students the skills to write certain aspects of that piece. 100%. I saw it time and time again in so many classrooms I worked in. It was like journal prompt of the day. That's Yes, that's time for writing, but unless you've given them specific strategies, they're not going to improve day after day. They're going to continue to make the same mistakes. It's kind of like daily oral language. I know we both feel very strongly about that. (laughs) But, you know, we have to explicitly teach those strategies. And it's actually really cool right now. It's kind of ironic, actually. Like, we're writing teachers, right? But (laughs) as I'm homeschooling my second grader, I don't feel comfortable teaching him writing. I've just never taught that young before. So I have him using OutSchool to take classes, which is like the coolest site ever. I love it. And he's taking a writing class right now. And I'm blown away by this teacher. 
every day she gives him like a strategy to work on to improve his writing. And it's so wonderful to hear as I, you know, like spy from the next room because he's actually learning how to write. Whereas last year it was a lot of like, talk about your trip to the park. Well, he, he doesn't know what to write about that, right? There's no instruction. He's, he was six at the time, but this year he's like, okay, I need a topic sentence and I can add a detail here. And it's just so cool to see. And if we can do that in second grade, like imagine with our middle, middle schoolers, when we give them concrete instructions on how to actually write, it's mind blowing what they can accomplish. Yeah. And I know like for a lot of writing styles, especially in middle school, this is pretty easily transferable, right? Like if you're teaching our EBW approach, which is our our framework that we teach for literary analysis, like you teach claims, you teach premises, et cetera, Mm -hmm. right? There is this structure. And I think one of the challenges too that teachers face is is especially with narratives, you know, like how do you teach a kid how to write a story? You know, how do you even go about doing that? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's so subjective. And so one of the things that we teach in our narrative writing program and our narrative writing course is we break it down. You know, which parts of a narrative do we want our students to really excel in? So we're going to start with teaching them just about leads and we're going to practice just leads and really hone in on that skill. We're going to write three different leads and there, there are all these different strategies behind each part of the narrative piece that our students are going to be composing so that when they do get to us, their writing isn't terrible. In fact, we're like, oh my gosh, that's the best narrative I've ever read. And it's because we did what? We gave them direction. And don't you love hearing like our teachers who've taught narrative writing this year already and are using these strategies, they share in our Facebook group about how it went. And it's so cool because they're like, I never had structure to this type of writing before. And I see the difference with my students. They actually want to write more or they they're saying to themselves, I think I could improve that lead. Like that's a teacher's dream when students are taking that knowledge and then like making it even stronger and applying it in other areas. It's so cool. So I think there's a lot we can do to make our students writing stronger. It does not have to be a pain point. The solution is find some structure. Don't just search on Pinterest and TPT pulling random stuff. Don't just throw up a prompt but have structure to your writing and going like tying this one into the previous one about planning the night before and talking Mm -hmm. about spiraling. What's great about, you know, having a very specific structure through which we teach writing and directions and expectations is that when we do go to spiral our content, our kids know our students are very familiar. They've learned about endings or they've learned about dialogue. Well, now we're going to review that skill and even further improve upon it. So it makes spiraling, it makes planning those lessons a whole heck of a lot easier for you. Your students' writing is going to increase exponentially because they're constantly practicing those skills. And it's not like, you know, they just wrote one essay in September and we called it a day. Right. It changes the whole game. It really does. It's like once we started teaching that way with the batch planning and the spiraling, I cannot imagine going back to how I did things before. No. And it I, me- don't, I don't even know how I survived those first right? few years of teaching. And my poor students, I look back and I'm like, oh, I really could have done so much better with them. I just didn't know. Like I tried, but now I see there's another way. <laughs> Which like how interesting. I mean, we have master's degrees. You know, yeah. yours is in curriculum and design. Mine is yeah. in secondary education. We went to school to be teachers. Why were we not taught this? I know. I, yeah. Well, 
my only thought is that when we were being taught, it wasn't teachers who were in the classroom day in and day out showing us this stuff, right? Like, yeah. I don't know. It was a struggle to learn totally. it on our own, but I'm glad we figured it out. Same. And it's not like we went to bad schools. We went to some of the oh. best education schools in the country and still like, oh, I can see why teachers get so frustrated and feel these pain points because I have, we have totally been there. Totally. But we're not going to focus on those pain points. We're going to go back to the solutions. Solutions. <laughs> well, we have to kind of mention the last pain point. Yep. <laughs> so pain point, grading is taking up your nights and weekends, right? Oh, hate it. Don't Brutal. want those scaries. What can we do to get rid of it? We have a ton of solutions and suggestions for this. This is my yeah. favorite one, I think. Actually, yes, that's not true. I love all three of them, but. Okay. But these are super practical and like you can change these immediately and you're going to see yeah. results. All right. First one, give shorter writing assignments. Like why are we assigning these multi-paragraph essays all the time for multiple class periods? And then we've got hundreds of essays to grade over a weekend. No, stop it. You know, Crazy. out and maybe just do a body paragraph where students are searching for evidence and then writing justification. Or if you're doing narratives, just have them write a lead. That's a way to spiral that review in. You can still grade those, but they're a lot shorter and a lot easier to grade. Yeah. I mean, I'll even give you an example with my eighth graders, fifth grade expectations are a little bit different, but with my eighth graders, they would write either seven or eight, depending on how many we could get to with, you know, floating days and things like that in school year, but seven or eight full multi-paragraph responses to literature essays. So I'm only grading seven or eight massive papers throughout the school year, all year, all school year. And so those other shorter writing assignments, we might write the introductory paragraph together as a class. I'm going to give them the claim and then in class or at home or whatever, however you want to assign it, their assignment is to write one body paragraph like Jessica talked about. Or maybe we give them the intro and two body paragraphs and their assignment is to write the conclusion. And I'm just grading them on that. And it Mm -hmm. makes it so much, what's great is not only does it make my grading lighter, right? As a teacher, but it also allows my students to hone in on that particular part of the paragraph, that particular skill. I kind of think of it like basketball. You know, if you're just practicing the body paragraph, that's like, you're just practicing dribbling, right? As opposed to the whole essay, dribbling, shooting, passing the whole nine yards, right? They're able to hone in on that specific skill with those smaller, shorter writing assignments. So important too, for students that if they are able to focus on one skill, it's like, there's no distractions then with all this other stuff. They don't need to remember, do I need a mic drop sentence or not? Nope. Just you're focusing on evidence right now or whatever it is. Yeah. It's really helping them. Very. Another thing you can do is use real-time feedback during class, whether you're in the classroom or you're online. If you're online, you know, you can have Google Docs open as students work and you can be giving them feedback during class. I think that's super helpful. But if you're giving a writing period in class, walk around, quick conferences with students. I know I did that all the time so that I would be fairly familiar with their essays so that by the time I actually did grade them, I was like, oh yeah, I've read this rough draft at least once before. I kind of know what I'm looking for. It wasn't my first pass at it. And I think that really helped speed up my, my grading process. Yeah. And you know, we can even do that when we're giving them a timed essay. That's a a final assessment a response to literature in class Mm -hmm. essay. That's, you know, at the end of Romeo and Juliet or something like that, we can still be walking around the classroom. You know, so often I feel like when students are quote unquote, taking a test, even if they're writing an essay, we feel like we can't, 
we can't give them any assistance. Well, we can actually, you know, have a little conference with them. Hey, you know what? I think we maybe, we maybe should include three stronger vocabulary words. I'd love for you to highlight them. You know, if we want to differentiate and challenge our students and like Jessica saying, you're already seeing, okay, when I look at the student's essay, when it comes to me, when it gets submitted, based on what I'm seeing right now, I know these are kind of the areas I'm going to have to hone in on and focus on when I'm grading and leaving feedback. But you can give them that feedback right then and there. Who's to say that we can't do that, you know? For sure. All right, last solution for that pain point of grading, taking up your nights and weekends. Well, don't take it home with you. Just make it a rule. Don't take work home with you. And some of you are probably like, well, that's just not possible. Well, who says, right? If you make it the rule, fine, you follow it, right? And then it forces you to really, really use your time efficiently during school hours. That might mean putting up a do not disturb sign on your door. Or I think we may have mentioned this before, but one teacher told us, put up a testing in progress or in pro progress. Yeah, testing yeah. in progress sign <laughs> on your door. And that way no one will come bug you and just grade during your prep period or whatever it takes. So you didn't don't bring that bag of essays home with you and then they just sit by your front door anyway until Sunday afternoon and you just stare at them like every time you walk out the door dreading grading them, right? Just don't do it. Totally. One no. of the things I remember my first year's teaching, you know, I was, I was 22, my first year mm -hmm. teaching in 23 and I would do that. I had 150 students. I'd bring, I'd wait until I got all of them to start grading them, which was ridiculous. I should have started grading them as soon as one class period turned them in, right. but I'd bring them all home. I wouldn't touch them. I'd bring them all back to school. I wouldn't touch. And then what's interesting is once, and I, I know this is your experience too, but once I had Will, once I had my son, my time virtually did not exist anymore. And so mm -hmm. because I was very, very forced to compartmentalize my time and use all of my time very, very efficiently, grading became like, boom, 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 get yes. it done. Don't take it home. Be with my kid. And that if we can, even if you don't have kids, like if you can adopt that kind of mentality of I'm not taking this home because I want my family time or I want my me time or I want my friend time and you leave it at school and you don't bring it home with you, it really does force you to be efficient and effective with your use of time while you're at school. And who cares if it takes an extra two days to get back to your students? Like that's life, right? Yeah. Need to have that work-life balance. So totally. We need that time at home. And you know what's great is one of our teachers just posted something into our Facebook group, uh, gosh, last night or this morning, about how, you know, because of our our narrative writing program, I can't remember which which uh activity it was that she was using with her students, but she's like, I got to go play golf with my husband on a school night. Did oh, you see that post? Awesome. I didn't. <laughs> Love it. And I just remember like my first year's teaching, it was school night is school. The week yes. is school. Nothing else exists outside of school, those first few years of teaching. And then there was a drastic shift once I started adopting all of these strategies that we've talked about for solutions so to our problems. True. Oh, I love that she went out and did that. That's great. <laughs> I know. I love it. So cool. Um, so yeah, so it's really important, you know, as empowered educators, we want to find solutions to our problems instead of sitting there just getting super, super frustrated and full of anxiety and just snowballing into a worse energetic situation, right? If we can look at the solutions or find those solutions to our setbacks, you know, that's where things really start to change for us in our classroom. And so hopefully a lot of these strategies that we've talked about, you can start implementing right away and start seeing some big shifts in your classroom for yourself. 
So with that being said, um, I would love to invite everybody to grab our free detective lesson. We love this one. It is hands down an EB teacher favorite, a student favorite. It's a free lesson. It's a whodunit kind of murder mystery activity, and you can go grab it for free. Go to ebacademics.com forward slash detective lesson, and it'll be sent right to your inbox and you could use it starting tomorrow if you wanted to. So thanks so much, you guys, for joining us, and we will see you next week on the podcast. Have a great day, everyone.